This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And welcome, everyone, to the most listened to Saturday morning sports talk show in all of Acadiana. Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station. 1037 the game and 1037 the game.com and I've been waiting pretty much six whole days and I've been waiting baby I have been waiting for this day to get here after what happened late Monday night into early Tuesday morning with the LSU Tigers being your new undisputed national champions how can we not have a lot of fun talking about that but of course we got to have other headlines kind of pop up over the course of the last week. And, of course, somehow, someway, we got to have something rain on our parade, be it Dave Aranda, Joe Brady, all leaving to go to other jobs, more power to them. Especially Dave Aranda, congrats to him. He's the new head coach over at the University of Baylor. Joe Brady, he's over at Carolina. Good luck with that. Situation because Matt Rule over there. That's it's that is going to be just something to keep an eye on going forward. Is what's going on over there in Carolina? It's been a wild and wacky week. You had you had the Pelicans win a game against a team that had won ten straight. This is like uncharted territory here, my friends. But of course, the story that I want to get into right out the gate is what's causing all this, and that is. What's being coined, I was hearing, was four days in January. I think that's definitely a valid point. Because after all, all this took place over the course of four days from Monday until Thursday. Thankfully, things have slowed down with this since. But it's still kind of worth talking about. And, of course, we're live, as always, from the 237 Roof Studios. Presented by Lafayette Roofing from the roof to the roots of Acadiana. These good folks have you covered. Just call them up at 237 Roof, 237 Seven six six three, and I want to kind of do a little bit more of a conversation about one thing and one thing only for this segment because I've got a guest coming up at ten fifteen. I've got a lot of guests and some really good stuff coming up on today's show. I'm not going to give it give it all away right now, but I'd recommend you check it out when we are going to have these guys on the air because it's going to be a one hell of a show, three deep. But if you want to call us up, the game hotline is wide open, 337-706-0111. I think you're going to want to get in on this conversation because it's all about the Astros and the World Series. I kind of posed the question to Ben, didn't get quite a 100% answer, but I'll explain a little bit more in detail about this if you didn't hear me talk about this. Is the Astros sign stealing controversy cost A.J. Hinch and Jeff Lunau their jobs? And also cost Alex Cora and Carlos Beltran. I think Alex Cora could be, very well be banned from baseball altogether. But these other three guys, Beltran, Hinch, and Lunau, 
they definitely have a very slim, if not none, chance of getting back into the league's good graces down the line. So because of the fact that I think this league is ready to just blacklist them, blackball them, however you want to put it, they're going to be taken to the woodshed and wiped off the face of the baseball earth uh, like Pete Rose and some other notable players that have since been banned from baseball. But again, I digress. The big thing for me is, without a doubt, that the question I have for you, you can call me up, 337-706-0111, is was it worth it? Was it worth it to see the Astros win their World Series title with all the cheating and all of the stuff that happened? Of course, we could talk about the different aspects of it. We could talk about the fact that, you know, if, it ain't, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, in the words of Eddie, the late, great Eddie Guerrero, or in the words of Jesse the Body Ventura, win if you can, lose if you must, but always cheat. Definitely a little bit heelish if I do say so myself, but you know what? I say, and this might be a take, Maybe some of you might disagree with. I think it was worth it. Because here's the thing. You cannot, as long as that World Series title is not taken away, but for me, it is officially me saying right here or right now, the World Series championship that the Astros won in 2017 was worth it, considering the fact, considering the fact that you won a World Series title for the first time in franchise history, and it was the zenith of everything that you worked for over the last several years of that franchise. You went from the bottom to the top really quickly. Sure, in the wor- it, sure the Astros might wind up being like Icarus, or yeah, Icarus. I'm flying a little too high to the sun, and then the Angels' wings burnt to the burnt, and he fell right back down to the ground. You'd be getting too close to the sun. I think that it was worth it. Some because of the fact that you won a World Series. If you cheated and you got caught and you didn't win anything, then all this was for naught. You did everything the way you wanted to. You pulled it all off perfectly. I love it. So why not go that route? That's what I love about this. The Astros... They deserve to win the World Series. But, of course, there's something about those cheating things that went on. And I was talking with him, a good friend of ours, Alan Michael. May him uh, his soul rest in the great city of Pittsburgh. He's not dead, but he's definitely enjoying himself in Pitt, getting ready for the XFL in a few weeks. But he kind of put it best for me because we were kind of kind of going back and forth on it. And he's like, the worst thing about this is the fact that they did the same stuff that New England did, but they are actually being punished. And I think that's absolutely right. I think it's just the fact that these guys are getting punished. And to me, and maybe you might disagree with this statement as well, but at the end of the day, if you're the Houston Astros and you beat the big dogs, the Boston Red Sox, the New York Yankees, and then you beat the Doyers, don't you think at the end of the day you feel slighted? You feel not as much liked in this world? You feel like you're just sitting there seeing the Astros do all these great things and beating your big dogs, your big markets. Don't you think that maybe, just maybe, there's a little bit of bias? 
don't you think maybe, just maybe, and you know, this might be sour grapes, but it could have been just the fact that they beat the Yankees. It's just the fact that they beat the Yankees and everybody wants to investigate him because you can't beat the Yankees. You shouldn't beat the Bronx Bombers. The Bronx Bombers should win every single year. But if you're the Houston Astros, you're doing something wrong. Even though they did everything right down the line. You saw everything they did over the years, developing the right kind of talent. They got everything done. It is absolutely fantastic. I am just loving what's going on with the Houston Astros franchise right here, right now. Because I've enjoyed it for years. I'll still support it. But man, is it tough to say right here, right now, that this franchise... His window is still open. I talked about it with Ben. The window's closed to me. And I think it's more because of the fact that you've got JV, Zach Greinke, maybe Lance McCullers. And Zach Greinke needs to be Zach Greinke, not the Zach Greinke we saw after the after the trade deadline where we traded for him. It was his big catch, and he had just sat there and did nothing. Zach Greinke was a Melvin, and it really hurt the Astros' rotation. Now you don't have Garrett Cole, baby, to compliment a guy like JV, who's an absolute legend. And again, I'm just sitting here saying right here, right now, the entire storyline of the Houston Astros, is it worth it? I think so. I think everything that's been building up to this point is absolutely worth it because guess what? You cheated. You got caught. Yeah. But you still have, at the end of the day, and everybody wants to say, I've been seeing columns from everywhere, Stephen A., Arizona Sports, saying that they should be vacated to the 2017 World Series and two ALCS banners. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. that just, This is just the biggest thing that grinds my gears right here, right now. The fact that people want to see these things vacated. I'm sorry. If you're going to vacate that, you might as well vacate the Saints Super Bowl victory because of the Bounty Gate scandal. That caused Sean Payton to be suspended for an entire year. Thankfully, the Saints didn't fire Sean Payton right after that, like we saw with the Astros and Jim Crane and his tired behind. That one that frustrated me more than anything is the fact that they fired Jeff Lunau and A.J. Hinch like an hour after. press Have an emergency press conference once everything comes out and you fire head coach, you fire your manager, and you fire your GM in freaking January. You're putting your team right behind the eight ball, Jim Crane, I can't wait to hear them all year long. But, man, oh, man, it feels like we're rebuilding all over again, a lot like what happened whenever Bud Steele, in his infinite wisdom, decided to put the Houston Astros and move them from the NL to the AL West, whenever at their height of their powers, when you had the Los Angeles Angels not just be Mike Trout and a bunch of goons, and you had the Texas Rangers actually be good. You have a lot of issues all the way around. I'm sitting here looking at the Astros, and I'm like, I want to see them succeed. But, man, the deck is stacked against them in 2020. I think this team is going to struggle. I just, it's bottom line, straight up fact, this team is going to be struggling. Ha, man, I'm going to go ahead and get on my soapbox, at least for this segment, because I've got a couple guests coming up in this hour. Coming up next, we're going to continue the Astros talk Maybe a little LSU talk with an LSU alum and Chris Gordy out in Sports Talk 790 Houston and Sports 1280 out in the Crescent City. We'll talk to him about the Astros, and I think there's a lot of things we're talking about with that. 
And then at 10.30, we got to have our college basketball expert on. Greg Peterson joining the program. I'll give my NFC-AFC title game predictions at the end of the hour. And then I'll talk, talk some UFC 246, why not, to start the 11 o'clock hour. But at 11.30, I want you all to kind of pencil this in, into the program, into your DVR. Is DVR in radio? I don't know. It, it's, in all seriousness, DVR is not part of radio. That being said, I am looking forward to 11.30. I think you need to kind of pencil that in and make sure it's appointment listening. 11.30. Head coach, the new head coach for McNeese State Football. Managed to get him on the program. Frank Wilson joining the show. That's right. I've mentioned it at the beginning of the year. 2020, we're shooting our shot. We're getting the biggest of the bigs. Because why the hell not? Give you plenty of reason to tune in. Going to take a quick timeout. We'll be back with a lot more. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station. 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. From the preps, I give it a uh, a ten, a ten to the pros, kick ass on one, and everywhere in between. Let's get back under the dome with the world famous CD on Acadiana Sports Station, one zero three seven. The game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadia and a Sports Station 103.7 The Game. And let's get out to the game hotline with some quickness because we got to get our guy. He is a host on Sports Talk 790 in Houston and also on Sports 1280 out in New Orleans. And, of course, we got to talk about what's going on with the Houston Astros. But, man, it's been a wild week for Houston in general with everything going on with the Texans and the Chiefs game last weekend. But, Chris, what's going on, man? Hey, what's going on, man? It's a busy, uh, busy time of the year. It's been a busy time of year, especially you look at what's happened over the last week in the city of Houston. I want to get kind of an overall vibe of what's been going. What's the overall vibe that you've noticed amongst the Houston sports fan? Well, it's, it's very mixed. I mean, it, it started with I think kind of shock when the you know the punishments came down that uh, Hinch and Luno were going to be suspended for the year, uh, you know, from people I had been talking to in the know leading up to it. Some people said, you know, they thought maybe half a season or you know, maybe half a season for Hitch, a full season for Ludo, things like that. And so when the, when it came down that they were both suspended for the whole season, I think most fans were kind of shocked. And then when it went from there to, you know, later in the afternoon, Jim Crane talks to the media and announces he's fired them both. I think a lot of fans were upset, uh, kind of taken aback. I, I, I think, most fans kind of understand that, that what they were doing wasn't on the up and up, and, and they get it. But I think some people kind of, uh, you know, held it against Mr. Crane, kind of saying, look, uh, you know, let these guys serve their punishment and let them come back in a year from their suspensions. Uh, it looked like he was just ready to wash his, wash his hands of this whole thing and move on, but it's obviously going to have its effect and, and take its toll on the, uh, on the Astros fan base and, and their seasons moving forward. Exactly, and it's just crazy to think that this all is happening right now in the month of January where they fire the head coach, they fire the GM, and you see all the other repercussions with them, Alex Cora. And I'm going to get to that in a second with Alex Cora, obviously at Carlos Beltran on Thursday, but with Alex Cora, in your mind, do you think he could be the one that suffers the most when these punishments get handed out? Because to me it feels like since he's the ringleader in all this, he could very well be banned from baseball. Yeah, and it seems like, 
you know, they haven't come down with a full punishment yet for him, but it seems like it, it's going to move in that direction because he was the one who put this whole system together and facilitated it. So um, if I had to guess, I would think he's probably going to you know, face at least a several-year ban, if, if not a lifetime ban. But it, it, it's an interesting thing uh, because we – just the, the, the outrage over what happened, right? I mean, I, I think it's important everybody to kind of take a step back and look at what all – happened right i mean because because i've been getting um some flack from some people saying i'm taken up for the astros when all i'm saying is just look at actually what they did you know the stealing signs has been a part of baseball for decades upon decades in baseball however you can do it whether it's the guy on second staring in at the catcher on the signs and sending the message to the to the to the bench or to the guys in at the box um you know guys in the in the dugout peering out and catching signs i mean this is all this has been a part of baseball for many many years Installing a video equipment, you know, a video camera in the outfield to try to catch those signs and relay them to the batter in the box is the same idea. It's just taking the step forward. And obviously, that's outside of the boundaries of the rules of baseball. You know, you don't use technology or a camera to do that. But I think some people are so outraged in, in calling this cheating and they knew every pitch. I think that's a step forward, uh, a step over the lines of what, what actually happened. They didn't know every pitch that was coming. They didn't know, oh, this is going to be a slider. This is going to be a fastball. This is going to be a. You know, change up like all they were signaling was whether you know. It, it, well, first step was they had to decipher the signs correctly, which is hard enough in itself. Uh, because we've heard Justin Verlander come out recently and say he changes up signs as the game goes along. So you have that, and then on top of it, uh, all they were signaling was you know it would be a bang if it was an off-speed pitch, and if not, then it was you were to expect fastball. Well, a lot of times they were wrong on these. If you go back and look at some of the video that's coming out. You watch some of the batters strike out swinging, and so I, did it give them an added advantage? I don't think so. I mean, at, at times maybe, but it's not like every time they went up there they knew exactly what pitch was coming. And so that's where I kind of have a problem with all this. It, was it was it cheating? Was it stepping outside of the boundary? Sure, but was it outright? Oh, the the the, the winning the championship is tainted. No, because as we're to understand, the system was only set up for home games. And obviously, when you see the video of the games that had happened, and it was midweek games against Seattle or Baltimore, where there was nobody in the stands. Go look at the playoff games. It's a loud, rocket atmosphere. You can't hear a thing. So banging on a trash can, whatever the system was, I, I got a feeling they didn't do it in the playoffs, at least from what I've seen. And obviously, you know, they won a lot of those games on the road that year, and they didn't have a system on the road to relay messages. So for anybody who wants to say the title's tainted, I, w- I would back off that claim. But again, you know, rules are rules. If they set up a video camera system, that's obviously, uh, I guess, quote unquote, cheating. But again, I, to say things are tainted, I, I don't know if I go that far. Talk right now with Chris Gordy, host on Sports Talk 790 in Houston, and also Sports 1280 in the Crescent City. And uh, uh, you know, one of the big one of the big things that I have is basically, is this 2017 World Series title worth it? Considering everything that you're kind of losing. All these first-round picks, a $5 million fine, Hinch and Lunau no longer with the franchise. Was it worth it in your mind? No, I mean, like I said, I mean, I just ran through the whole, you know, idea of this. I don't, I don't, again, I don't think it gave them an added edge. I don't think it gave a, you know, if you go back and look at some of the video footage, you know, Evan Gaddis, uh, they end up not banging on a trash can. He strikes out swinging. I mean, it, there were a lot of moments like, where I don't think it. I don't think it gave them an added advantage. It's it's almost like the Barry Bonds thing, right? I mean, he was already a talented guy who was going to hit a ton of home runs, whether he hit, whether he took the steroids or not. And you know, I think some people kind of come around on that throughout the years and said, you know what, he belongs in the Hall of Fame anyway, regardless if he took steroids or not. So 
you have that part, and then you. Oh, excuse me. Sorry, I'm. Sorry about that. I'm just in a little uh, corridor here. Oh, no, you're good, man. You're good. They, they just asked me to lower my volume. I get a little fired up. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> so yeah, I, I just feel like it. I don't think they're going to take the title away. I don't think it's dated. I think ultimately what's going to happen is um, I think when A.J. Hinch and Jeff Luno and their suspensions end next year, I think that they're going to be the hottest names on the market. And I think you have a lot of hypocrite fans who are crucifying the Astros right now who will be lining up uh, first in line to try to hire these two guys next offseason. All right, so I mean, I gotta ask you. Obviously, is who do you think could be like the next manager? Who would you who would you like to see be that next skipper for the Astros in twenty twenty? So it's an interesting thing, right? Because this this team is loaded with talent right now. I mean, you still got the Crayas, the Springers, the Altuve's. Like they're still set up to win right now. Um, Bruce Bochy is a name that makes a lot of sense. Obviously, there's a guy who stepped away from the Giants and won multiple titles there, knows how to manage uh, big, big league talent, that sort of thing. I think that's the direction they're going to go in, whether it's a Dusty Baker or a Bruce Bochy, one of the old veterans that's been around a long time. Because I think with this team, you can't go with the young up-and-coming guy, right? I mean, it, it, the guys in that clubhouse may not necessarily respect them and kind of feel like, oh, this guy's just coming in to – you know, try to prove himself or whatever. So that's why I think Jim Crane, he's going to make a decision here real soon. I was interviewing candidates this past week. I think they're going to go with a, a an older, proven veteran guy. And it may not be a long-term thing, but it's maybe what this team needs right now to try to win this year or next year. Chris, before I let you go, obviously, we need to talk about LSU win the national title as you're an LSU alum. How awesome was it to see LSU win it all amidst everything that was happening on Monday and everything that happened on Sunday as well with the Texans, the way things went for them. Yeah, uh, the, the LSU win was phenomenal. I mean, that goes without saying. It's just the, the storybook season that, that it was when it was. And, um, you know, I got to be in the locker room right after the game Monday night and interview a lot of the guys. And, you know, I kind of got the vibe that night just interviewing a lot of them like, Oh, a lot of these underclassmen are going to be leaving early, and we're, and we're seeing the fallout of that right now. I'm actually surprised guys like Kerry Vincent, Jacoby Stevens decided to come back. Um, but obviously, they're, they're losing a haul. And so uh, you lose Dave Aranda, you lose Joe Brady. So Coach Joe's going to have a lot of things to fix this offseason. But look, you win a title that buys you a couple of years of, you know, maybe quote unquote rebuilding. If LSU loses three or four games next year, I don't think anybody's going to be screaming and banging their head against the wall. But, um, no, it was a phenomenal run that LSU had. And as far as the Texans go, man, that <laughs> I, I, they're going to be looking back at that 24 nothing lead at the end of the first quarter and wondering, how did we let that get away? How did we float at that opportunity on the road in Kansas City? You knew Pat Mahomes and company were going to come back and, and get their offense going. But, my goodness, to, to blow a lead like that, that's going to hurt all offseason. Chris, thanks so much for coming on, man. man. We'll talk to you down the road. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. All right, that was Chris Gordy. You can follow him on Twitter, at Chris Gordy. We'll be back with more after this on Under the Dome. Greg Peterson, join the program next. The famous CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. You Manchester United supporters. Sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome. On 1037 The Game.
Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game and 103.7 TheGame.com. Live as always from the 237 Roof Studios. And it's a perfect time to dive into some college basketball, maybe a little bit of football as well, because obviously we got the NFC, AFC title games. We'll save that for later, but right here, right now, we got to get into it. We got to talk about what's causing all this in college basketball. To do that, we go to the game hotline. Talk with a guy, Greg Peterson of VSIN, also a big college basketball expert, if there ever was one. Greg, what's going on, brother? I'm doing great. How about you, Clint? I am doing fantastic on a Saturday morning. I'm enjoying it. As much as I've been enjoying a lot of the great basketball that's been on tap over the last few days, I mean, you have Auburn get upset by Alabama. It continues to be probably one of the wildest seasons on record. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. And this SEC really has been unpredictable. We saw Alabama take a couple early season losses. The loss to Penn really comes to mind along with Rhode Island. They're now really emerging. You've got LSU. They were close, but they were able to get that win against Mississippi State, taking overtime against Texas A&M as well. They seem to be getting the job done. But just the entire landscape of this conference, South Carolina knocking off Kentucky, this is one of the wilder ones that we're seeing in college basketball this year. So what you're saying is right here, right now, the SEC is pretty much wide open because you look at it, LSU obviously undefeated 4-0, but you got Arkansas with Eric Musselman in there, Kentucky, Florida, Auburn, all tied for that second-place spot at 3-1 and in conference play. Is it pretty much just wide open at this point? Oh, it absolutely is. I think that the big thing is just trying to get a little bit of consistency with some of these teams. I do like what I'm seeing out of Arkansas because one thing that's standing out to me about Arkansas is the fact that they're able to play on the road, and I think that that's really key because we're seeing it with so many of these SEC teams. They're doing a great job of being able to defend their home floor, but when they hit the road, it's a little bit of an issue. Now, I'm not too concerned about Auburn losing to Alabama. That was just a bad night for Auburn and Alabama was on their game, obviously. Big rivalry. The I guess you could call it hardwood version of the Iron Bowl. I know some people don't like me calling that, but at the same time, it sort of is what it is. But I do think that what is key for so many of the SEC teams is being able to hit the road, maybe just pull out a couple wins, because I think whoever wins the SEC is probably going to take at least four losses, if not five in conference. Talk right now with our guy Greg Peterson of VSIN. And, man, we were talking about like a conference that's wide open. I think we can agree. I mean, the ACC is looking like one of those kind of Conferences as well that looks wide open. I mean, you have Duke right now, not necessarily looking like the Duke team of old with a 79-72 loss on Tuesday night against Clemson. What can you say about the Duke Blue Devils right here, right now, and how much more open the the ACC looks? And how about Clemson? Give them a little bit of credit. They wind up sweeping North Carolina and Duke. That is not easy to do now. North Carolina obviously a little bit down, and it looks like Duke was emerging as that number one team in the country, so I'm not as concerned because they were missing Wendell Mitchell in that game. I believe Joey Baker was out as well, so they were dealing with some injuries. That could explain a little bit of that loss, but this is really a conference that, like you were saying, much like the SEC, things are wide open. Louisville was a team that was number one in the country. They then wind up losing in Madison Square Garden to Texas Tech and lost that I feel like caught a lot of people by surprise. I think the big thing with the ACC is just being able to play some good, solid defense in general because we're noticing a variety of different styles, but the defensive styles seem to be winning out, and that's exactly what Florida State has been able to do, a team that wound up backing off Louisville on the road about a week and a half ago. And, you know, we're talking about everything that's going on in the ACC. I mean, we've got to bring up the Big 12 next week. they got the SEC Big 12 Challenge that LSU is going to be part of. 
What have you noticed from the from the Big Twelve? Which does it? That one seem wide open to you as well? Because I haven't necessarily paid as much attention as maybe you have. What you're noticing in the Big Twelve? Rock fights a plenty. Nobody can throw the ball into the basket. You've got, I believe, either three or four of the top ten teams in all of college basketball with regards to fewest points per possession allowed residing in the Big Twelve. Baylor has looked absolutely amazing. We saw them go on the road last week, knock out Kansas. Kansas then gets up off the mat. They're able to take down Boomer sooner on the road by a double-digit amount of points. It's just one of these situations where I was talking about how defense is what's reigning supreme in the ACC. Certainly is the case in the Big 12, and the big thing is just finding that one guy that's able to emerge because probably the best player with regards to scoring in that conference is Reese Halliburton over at Iowa State. Averages over eight assists per game. Shoots over 40% from three, but he just has nobody nobody helping him out around him. So I think that this is a very interesting conference in which it just feels like on a night-to-night basis, if you can get to 65 points in the Big 12, you're going to win the game. I think it's going to be interesting, especially with next week, as I mentioned, the SEC Big 12 Challenge. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Talking right now Greg Peterson of v also a college basketball expert, if there ever was one. And right here, right now, I saw this pop up yesterday on my Bleacher Report feed, and that was about the... Some of the teams that are on the bubble, they might be surprised at, and they brought up the defending champ, UVA, and a lot of other programs being on the bubble. Like, Do you agree with that? Do you think Virginia's on the bubble at this point? Absolutely. You take a look at the play recently, it's not good. Now, they wind up losing on the road against Florida State. They get smashed by Purdue. It's one thing to lose on the road at West Lafayette. It happens. But to score like 40 points or something like that and give up 69, not a good look there. They're coming off that loss of Florida State. They lose to Syracuse, giving up more points in overtime than they did in the second half of that game. I don't think I've ever seen that before. But this is a Virginia team that they just can't put the ball in the basket. I've never seen a team so good on defense and just so bad on offense. It feels like you're watching a game in which they had yet to invent the jump shot in the 1940s when you watch this team. It's absolutely amazing. And I actually do agree with it because the ACC is down and who did Virginia really beat in the non-conference place? I'm really looking to find any sort of win that's worth its value. So I actually do think that they're a little bit of a bold team at this point. Hey, you know, Greg, let's look over some of these big matchups across the country. And I want to start off looking at the LSU game they've got going on tonight, which you'll hear right here on 103.7. The game is taking on the Ole Miss Rebels. What do you say about what's been going on with this team, LSU, and with a win tonight, if they want to come away with the win in Oxford, Mississippi, does that set them up to be a ranked team come Monday? Oh, they should be a ranked team come Monday if they're going to be able to win this game. And what has really been huge for LSU is Javante Smart being very smart with the ball. First couple games of the year when the team lost on the road against VCU and things like that, he had internal issues. What I've noticed out of Javante Smart is over the team's last five games, I believe that he's had two turnovers or fewer in every one of them. That allows this offense to be a little bit more free-flowing. It allows Skyler Mays to be able to get the ball in his hands, get clean shots, and that really just sets up the team for success because with LSU, you also have Darius Days and Emmett Williams down low. This is one of the better teams that you're going to find with regards to rebounding. Now with LSU, depth is a little bit of an issue. We saw them only play six different guys that had at least ten minutes in their previous game, so... You want to maybe see if they can get a guy like a Manning, maybe 10, 12 minutes, because I think that's going to help this team moving forward. You feel a little bit uneasy about them only going with a six-man rotation. You want to see if you're able to get a little bit more of an emergence off the bench. But what we're also noticing about Ole Miss is that they have no consistency whatsoever. 
they're going to hang 80 on the board one night. They're going to hang 40 on the board the next night. I'll tell you, I feel like they're defending very well. I think this sets up very well for them to be able to get a road win. And probably get into the top 25. I think it's absolutely huge. Talk right now with Greg Peterson of VSIN and our college basketball expert that we have on each and every week right here on 103.7 The Game. And I want to kind of look at the SEC a little bit late, earlier in the day, and that is going to be a 1230 tip between Auburn and Florida. It feels like an SEC on CBS match, and that's because it is on CBS, but it's not on the college football front. But you got to say, Florida's looking pretty decent at this point, 11-5, and 3-1 in SEC play. But Auburn looking to bounce back after that tough loss against the Alabama Crimson Tide, as we talked about earlier. Now, with this game on CBS, the big question is, will P. Ryan be able to run the ball on this very stout Auburn defense? <laughs> no, I'm kidding, of course. But with that said, with Auburn, I do think that this is a team that can win a variety of different ways. They just had Murphy's Law hit them against Alabama a few nights ago. And what I do like about this Auburn team is that they have now adapted to a little bit of a new style. Last year, they were one of the top teams in the country with regards to turnovers per possession force. This year, they haven't been forcing so many turnovers. They haven't been hitting as many threes, but they've done a better job of going down low. Daniel Purifoy doing a good job of being able to give the team a little bit of this, a block or two, some rebounds. And then the big man, Austin Wiley. He has been struck with so many things with regards to eligibility, injuries. He's emerged for over nine rebounds per game. He's really come on for this team. You've got a steady Eddie point guard in Javon McCormick, and they're going up against the Florida team that they've been cranking up their offense. Under Coach Mike White, they've really been always a defense-oriented team, but I believe over their last five games, they've gotten to at least 70 points in every one of them. Now, that said, they also gave up 90 against Missouri a couple days ago. Obviously not a good look, but I think that they're going to tighten up a little bit. I think that this is going to be a close nip-and-tuck game, but I feel like because Auburn has so many different ways to win in Florida, it just doesn't feel like they've got as much versatility and feels like they're a little bit here miss for three-point range. I give the edge to Auburn based on their just sheer consistency. Looking at a group of five matchup, I mean, you got to bring up, without a doubt, the Wichita State-Houston matchup. Wichita State ranks 16th at 15-2. and two. Houston not too far behind, 13-4, and 3-1 and one in the American Athletic Conference. What can you say about this matchup? This is going to be one of the more marquee games to watch if you're a mid-major fan. Oh, absolutely. With Wichita State, this is a bunch that they very, very much had a sweat against UConn on Sunday. They wind up taking that loss to Temple. But I, what I like about this team is that they were able to make a run in March last year, not in the NCAA tournament, but rather in the NIT, and they had three freshman guards on that team. Now you're noticing Javarius Burton shooting over 40% from three. He's able to give the team four assists per game. And what gets lost on so many people is Wichita State. There was our Jamie and Shadike, their top rebounder, at the beginning of the year last year. He is now going to be back in the fold. He's been doing a good job for this team. I think that Wichita State is a team that is going to be able to shake off those road woes. They're going to be returning to the roundhouse, a place that, in my opinion, is one of the most difficult places to win in all of college basketball, very underrated home court. I think that the Shockers are going to be shocking a lot of people because this team is back despite the fact that they had a little bit of a tough night against Temple. I think that they should be able to get up off the mat and get a nice win in this one. All right, one more for you. I think we need to bring this up, Greg, and that is the only ranked versus ranked matchup. Number three, Duke, taking on number 11, Louisville. This will be a 5 o'clock tip. What can you say about this game? This is probably going to be the game that, if you're a college basketball fan, you need to tune in to watch this one. It is, without a doubt, the marquee game of the week. Totally agree with you. You've got for Louisville three guys that can give you 10 rebounds on any given night. Steven and Ock, along with Jordan Duora and Dwayne Sutton. With Nawara, guy stands right around six foot seven, six foot eight, shoots over forty percent three, and then with Duke, 
You've got so many guys like a Vernon Carey Jr. is able to do a good job down low. And I would argue that this year's Duke team is actually more complete than last year. Last year, you had those top three recruits in all college basketball, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, along with, obviously, Zion Williamson. But this year, Duke seems to be getting better coaching out of Coach K because last year it just seemed like he'd roll the ball out there and said, all right, guys, you guys have talent. You go do this. Meanwhile, this year, he's taking a little bit more of a hands-on approach. He's using his bench. He's scheming up just different out-of-bounds plays, and it feels like this is a Duke team that has a little bit of a more dynamic effort. I think that a couple nights ago against Clemson, it was a little bit of an admiration. We saw just how bad that play at the end of the first half was. That's essentially how the game went for Duke, and they have much better three-point shooting this year than last year as well. Last year, they were ranked in the bottom 50 with regards to three-point shooting percentage in all college basketball. This year, you've got guys like Matthew Hurt and company that are able to shoot it from three. I think Louisville keeps it close, but hard to go into Cameron Indoor and get a win. It's pretty hard to get a win in Cameron Indoor. I have to agree with you. And one more before I get out of here, but we're going to flip it over to to NFL football, and that is the AFC and NFC title games. Per Bravati, you got Tennessee, a ten point dog against Kansas City in the early matchup, and then you've got then you've got Green Bay versus San Francisco, San Fran seven point favorites in that matchup. Who you got in those two? I think that it's going to be the San Francisco 49ers coming on the NFC. They have had the Green Bay Packers number really ever since the beginning of 2010. This is a team that time and time again, Green Bay cannot get past. And I think that the pass rush of Bosa and company is going to be able to get pressure on Aaron Rodgers, who just hasn't been the same quarterback this year. I like Aaron Jones running the ball, but with that, uh, San Francisco such a balanced team. Jimmy Garoppolo, just such a cool quarterback, cool customer. I think that he's going to be able to, get the 49ers, and I think that they cover that game as well. I think they'll win by 10-plus. Meanwhile, in the AFC, I think the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be able to win outright, but my big concern is the spread at 10. I think that this might be a couple too many. Last time these two teams played, both were able to get to 30, but I think that this is going to be a lower-scoring game with the Titans. You've got a great game manager in Ryan Tannehill. He's really been able to emerge for this team, but Derrick Henry, we saw just how special he was in the first two teams' games of the postseason. League's leading rusher for a reason. He has been very dominant. I think that Tennessee is going to slow the game down. They're going to be able to keep it within one possession, but I think that in the end, you're going to get Patrick Mahomes versus Jimmy Garoppolo in the Super Bowl. That sounds like a lot of fun, Greg. Thanks so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you next week. Always a pleasure, Glenn. Thank you. All right, that was Greg Peters. You can follow him on Twitter at GUnit underscore 81. And we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. We'll be back with a whole lot more. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. Yeah! On 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Live from the 237 Roof Studios and getting that weekend kick started off the right way. And without a doubt in my mind, I wouldn't have it any other way. Hopefully, you're enjoying what we got for you here on a wonderful Saturday morning. 
And right about now, it's time to kind of give you an idea of what I think about this weekend's football matchups, namely the AFC and NFC title games. Last week, I did a lot better. Two and two on the weekend with the Kansas City Chiefs game. Thank you, God, that 24 nothing bleed was blown in a hurry because I was not looking too hot. But thankfully, I don't look like well, that Sheldon Cooper-looking cat over on Fox Sports. And I think you know who I'm talking about if you listen to the show long enough. The dude was 0-10 in his picks like in the postseason. Absolutely dreadful. Dare I say, it'd be penny dreadful. That's how bad his picks were. My picks are slightly better. Not much better, but they're okay. 3-5 and five in the postseason. Can't believe I wasn't doing this all season long. I just want to keep tabs on this. But that being said, looking forward to the AFC-NFC title games. Tomorrow, you'll hear them right here on 103.7 The Game. And we start things off, obviously, with the three with the 2 o'clock game excuse me, between Tennessee and Kansas City in Arrowhead Stadium. The Tennessee Titans, a Cinderella of the NFL playoffs, the Darlings with them knocking off the big dog in New England with relative ease of that. It was definitely – score doesn't tell you the full story. In that one, but that was an absolutely amazing performance for the Tennessee Titans. I'll give them credit where credit is due. They did everything right in that matchup, and it was nothing short of spectacular to see what was going on with that franchise and get it done. And then they somehow, some way, get it done for a second straight game last weekend, and that was a bigger shock to the system to me because the fact they just looked so dark. they were up against a really tough team in Baltimore. But it proved once again, Derrick Henry is a grown-ass man, and he does not care who he's up against. The dude will run over opponents, and it's absolutely amazing. That being said, Ryan Tannehill is a joke. He's a mirage. And the Tennessee Titans, if the Tennessee Titans owners are somehow, someway listening, I highly doubt it, do not overpay for Tannehill. The dude is a mirage. He's a Joe Flacco light light. He's not even he's Joe Flacco, who people had the debate for years. Is he an elite quarterback? No, Joe Flacco was not, as we learned. But Joe Flacco got a Super Bowl, and then they overpaid for him. Look at that as a prime example. If you make the Super Bowl and somehow, some way the Tennessee Titans win it, do not overpay this guy. He does not make this franchise any better. It's all about Derrick Henry, a lot like what Alabama was. When Derrick Henry was the running back, it was all about him. It was all about getting it done. That being said, Kansas City, 7.5-point favorites in this matchup. i got to go with the Chiefs here. I think the Chiefs come away with a solid win over Tennessee. Tennessee the clock runs out. This Chiefs defense is a little bit better than last year. We finally get to see Andy Reid climb over that hump. Give me the Kansas City Chiefs winning this one. And my score prediction is 28-17. That's my final score prediction. I'm probably way wrong on that. But then we also have the Green Bay-San Francisco matchup. Seven and a half point favorites is the San Francisco 49ers. And I'm just absolutely looking forward to this one a lot more than the AFC title game. I think we can lock this in. San Francisco, 7.5 points. 
Give me San Fran, Green Bay, not the same Packers team as we've seen in the past. Give me this team more than any other. I think we see San Francisco and Kansas City face off. Kyle Shanahan looking to redeem himself after 28-3. Andy Reid looking to get a Super Bowl to secure his legacy. Because I think his legacy for a long time has been, what? Getting close, but never jumping over the hump. Never getting over the hump. But I'm absolutely looking forward to it. And we're about done with the 10 o'clock hour. Hour number two coming up in just a little bit. I think I've got one more guest that just popped up and just went through the line. We're going to get her in. Try and give you a little more details about that in between the breaks. But guess what? We also got new McNeese State head coach Frank Wilson joining the program at 1130. So make sure you tune in right here on Acadiana Sports Station. 103.7 The Game Under the Dome. Back after this. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. Hour number two is now underway, and I am absolutely fired up, looking forward to it. Especially because of the fact that we just locked in one more guest, managing to roll four deep on the program. That was kind of the plan from Jump Street, but just sometimes you, things just don't necessarily work out the way you plan. You try and get in touch with a guest to join the show. They don't see the messages right away. They get to me at the end of the hour number one. So I'm like, you know what? I had you penciled in for 11.15. Now you're in pin. You are in, and we're talking about Allie Trost, and that is just absolutely fantastic. She definitely has a lot of sports coverage for Sports Radio 810, which is in Kansas City, Missouri. Kansas City! I absolutely love the commentator for the for the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. He's absolutely fantastic. Just, Touchdown, Kansas City! Absolutely fantastic. But I can't wait to talk to her about the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tennessee Titans matchup, I matchup, I definitely broke down a little bit more detail than I did the 49ers-Green Bay matchup. But I think, at least with the Tennessee game, there's a chance for an upset. But with Green Bay-San Francisco, that is just ripe with potential. You don't know which way this one is going to go, to be quite honest, and I love it. I absolutely love when games are like this. But also... I mentioned it earlier in the program. I think you need to be able to get this in and make sure you pencil this in or write it down in a pen or write it down in your iOS notes, whatever it is. 11.30. Have it on the new McNeese football head coach, Frank Wilson. The new head coach for the McNeese Cowboys, the Cowpokes. There's a new sheriff in town. I think it's absolutely huge to have a guy like that. And also, at the fact, you got guys like Billy Napier, Frank uh, Willie Fritz and uh, Skip Holtz. I almost said Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz has a coach in years, thankfully. But when it comes to Skip Holtz, Willie Fritz, Ed Ogeron, Billy Napier, 
Frank Wilson, just those guys alone. That kind of helps build a recruiting wall unlike any other. Because Coach O talks about all the time, keeping team, keeping the Louisiana boys in Louisiana. And he has kind of built this relationship and built the, these like borderlines with these head coaches. He's helped that out a lot over the years. I think it's absolutely huge to have that in place at this point in time. It's just amazing to see what's going on with not just LSU, but the entire state of Louisiana. It's something we can just talk about for a long, long time. And just just thinking about it is absolutely outstanding. But, you know, there's other things we're talking about. Of course, we've talked a lot about the Astros. Was it worth it? And I think it was. I'm not going to go into the full details about it because I want to try and get to some other stuff. Of course, we can talk about LSU. I'll probably talk about them at the end of the show because I've got some thoughts about – some pointed thoughts about that. And also, i got some thoughts about something going on tonight. And you know it's weird because I've talked about it many a time on Ben's show, on this show, is the fight game. And this weekend is a big fight weekend. you got a double main event between – you got a double main event. you got Holly Holm and Raquel Pennington. That should be one heck of a fight. And then you've got Conor McGregor and Donald Cowboy Cerrone, your main event. Kyle, Conor McGregor for the first time in almost two years. The Cats back in the UFC octagon. I almost said the ring. He's back in the UFC octagon, and I cannot wait for it. So I'm going to get to my thoughts on that matchup for a little bit before we have on Alec Tross at 11.15, 11.30. We got him, uh, Frank Wilson, new McNeese State head coach, listening for that one. But when it comes to the Conor McGregor-Cowboy-Cerrone matchup, I think there's not a doubt in my mind that Conor McGregor's rest equals rust. It's an old saying, especially when it comes to the fight game, UFC, MMA, even pro wrestling. If you've seen The Undertaker wrestle in the last couple of years, you know rest equals rust with him. Also, it doesn't, hurt, doesn't help matters. That dude's like well over 50. And he still wrestles the same way. That being said, Cowboy Cerrone has every chance to do something that would probably hurt the UFC in a big way and cause a lot of damage to the PR and cause a lot of damage to the potential. And that is knocking Conor McGregor out of the UFC. Because of the fact that UFC... Loves to have this guy. He is a box office draw shirt. Most people don't like him. Trust me. I'm not the biggest fan of him either. But you also got to realize the guy knows how to draw a house, knows how to draw pay-per-view buys. I think he has definitely done something to help this UFC product become even bigger than what it was, like let's say five, six years ago, when you had your... John Jones, when you had your Chuck Liddell still in there, when you had a lot of mainstream stars, those those draws have started to go away. But we're seeing newer guys really step their game up. We're seeing the Khabibs of the world really put themselves at that level. Dustin Poirier, whenever he gets his next fight, I'm sure that's going to be a, a semi-main event at least. You got the women doing great things as well. Not necessarily as great as it was when Ronda Rousey was rolling the world of UFC. But it's still something we're talking about when it comes to the fight game. And I think right here, right now, you just look at the matchup between Conor McGregor and Donald Cerrone. And there's one thing that kind of has popped in my head over the last, let's say, like 72 hours or so. Since 
I kind of call it the pre-fight press conference. And it's the fact that Conor McGregor seemingly is a changed man. And I think that's great. Congratulations to him for kind of like cleaning up a little bit. I mean, sure, he still seems like the proper 12 Irish guy who's just going to cuss up a storm. And trust me, he was throwing plenty of cussies around. And I think it's the fact that, you know, you look at Conor McGregor and with the Cerrone pre-fight press conference, he wasn't trying to be the antagonizer and antagonize a guy like, I almost said antagonate, no, that's the antagonator, but he wasn't trying to be antagonizing towards a guy like Cerrone. They were laughing, having fun, shooting the you-know-what. I absolutely enjoyed seeing Conor McGregor be more lighthearted. It wasn't all business. He was having fun. And if Conor McGregor is that kind of guy in off the away from the octagon after being away for so long, the only other, the last time he had a fight two fights ago was against Mayweather. Then you had the Khabib fight, all that controversy, all that mess. Honestly, probably should have gotten him out of the game of the MMA. And I'm just saying, I think that we see right here, right now, things happen. And my biggest thing is when it comes to the UFC is I think Conor loses this fight. And I'll tell you why. I think it's – I brought it up earlier. Rust equals rust. Conor McGregor, rust is a real, real issue for him. He hasn't fought in a long, long time. And I think this match could very well go past that second round. If it goes past the second round, Cerrone's going to whip that ass. Because I don't think Conor McGregor has that stamina yet. If it goes, if it's in the first round, I'd give it, I'd give equal shot. But I think once you get past round one and probably midway through round two, that's when you'll start seeing Conor McGregor lose a little bit of steam. He'll lose a little headway. And then if it goes into the third round, that's where Conor will get his head crushed in. And his career in the UFC will be over because of the fact that you know a guy like Conor McGregor only has so many chances. And in the world of UFC, you see guys lose one or two fights in a row. And not only are they down in, into the prelims, there's a very well a chance they can be off the card forever because I think Dana White knows whenever a guy just does not have it anymore, or in the case of you know Phil Brooks, CM Punk, whenever he was in the UFC, he realized he didn't have it at all, and it was more just a kind of a trying to draw, you realize eventually the guy just doesn't have it anymore. And maybe just maybe Conor McGregor doesn't have it anymore if he loses in tonight's fight. UFC 246, McGregor Cerrone, the main event. Holly Holm's matchup should be a lot of fun. You also got Anthony Pettis on the card against Diego Faria. And currently, Pettis is a plus-135 underdog. I'm, I'm more surprised, though, about Per Bavada. Conor McGregor, minus-310 favored in this matchup, of course. Uh, all the betting lines are just amazing just to see Conor McGregor be a favorite. And, you know, me and me and Jordy talked about it. Me and him disagree on a lot of things. I think this was the biggest thing I disagreed with, with him, and, and first time in a long while, is the fact that Conor McGregor, it, the fix is not in. The fix cannot be in. And what's up about a rematch? I'm sorry. Cowboy Cerrone and Conor McGregor isn't a rematch-worthy matchup. 
if Connor wins, he's going on to face Khabib. It's going to be Khabib Connor too. That's what people want, and I know that's what Dana wants to see. I think that's going to be the big money fight. That's going to be the big draw. Everybody's going to be looking forward to it. I know I sure am. Hopefully, you're getting ready to enjoy a great UFC fight. Also, just a great weekend in general when you've got the UFC Championship Sunday. It's a great weekend, and you really don't have a whole lot of gap between you know anything of note. I think I talked about it with Greg. I think LSU is going to be a lot of fun tonight when they take on Ole Miss. They're going to want to probably be rolling over the Ole Miss Rebels. But I think the fact that they win on Saturday, they have every single chance of becoming a ranked team. And that's exactly what you want to see. That's what you want. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout, and we will come back. We're going to bring it up to a whole nother level. Allie Charles joining the program, talking a little Kansas City Chiefs. And then at 11.30, Frank Wilson, the new McNeese State Cowboys head coach, the new sheriff in town. We're going to talk to him about that and a whole heck of a lot more. So keep it tuned in. Going to take a quick timeout, and we'll talk Chiefs next on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. The numbers don't lie. Because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent. Now, let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk. He's fat! On Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the Katie and a Sports Station 1037 The Game at 1037thegame.com live from the 237 Roof Studios. And you know, we got to go out. We rep at Casey Mo and we got to get out to the place that runs the world of the AFC right about now. That is Kansas City Talk with Allie Trost. She is part of Sports Radio 810 out in Kansas City. She's also a freelance reporter, host, MC. We'll get to something really cool that she's doing, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Right now, though, she's on the she's on the game hotline. Excuse me, she's on the game hotline. Allie, how's it going? Going well. I mean, it's a great time to be in Kansas City. Uh, I was just kind of reflecting earlier. This is only my second year covering the Chiefs specifically, and what a great two years, right? I mean, hosting the AFC Championship game for two straight years isn't really something you see unless you're up in New England. So uh, really exciting times, and you can just feel the energy in the city. It seems like just a perfect time to go to Kansas City to see everything that's going on with that franchise and the Chiefs just setting up perfectly at this point in time. Like, uh, What's the biggest concern for you in tomorrow afternoon's matchup because I think that I think everybody's just looking at Derrick Henry, but is there anything else that concerns you? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because it, it almost feels too good to be true, right? Uh, Miami upsetting New England in that last regular season game, which then gives the Chiefs the number two seed going into the playoffs, which almost seemed like you know just a far cry away, and that ends up happening. And then the Titans doing the Chiefs a lot of favors in the playoffs by you know, not only upsetting the Patriots, but then going on and upsetting the Ravens, giving the Chiefs, you know, that home field advantage uh, for this game on Sunday. And so it, it almost feels too good to be true, but a lot of 
the reason that that is is because of the Titans. So they've got to be doing something right, huh? Uh, and, you know, Derrick Henry would definitely be the, the biggest concern, and that's mainly because he's been a concern for every team during this last stretch, not even just in the playoffs, but to end the regular season as well. But in addition to him, you know, they've got some good receivers as well because the way that the Chiefs win this game is to get out to an early lead and, you know, make sure that things are clicking early, not like we saw against the Texans last weekend. Um, but if they're able to do that, I don't see the Titans being able to catch up just by running the ball. That will force them to have to pass and try to, you know, get some quick points, you know, trying to hit A.J. Brown or, or any of their receivers to, you know, try and make up for whatever deficits the Chiefs are able to create early. So I think A.J. Brown is a little overlooked just because offensively Derrick Henry gets all the love and, that's where I see, if anything, you know, that that could be a, an area of the game where the Chiefs might be hurting just depending on how the game goes early. But I think that first, that first half is going to be really crucial uh, in deciding who's going to win this game. And, you know, Allie, we can just kind of just look at everything that happened last year with the AFC title game and the overtime. But I think without a doubt we can, we can bring up the fact that this team, and I saw you post something about this last night, was about the fact that Frank Clark saying lining up offsides absolutely unexcusable and how Frank Clark just he is all in on making sure that issue does not happen again in this AFC title game because, man, that would be a rough break two years in a row where, where you'd have an offside virtually cost you a shot in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I well, and the thing that's so unfortunate, too, and what everybody forgets, is that Charvarius Ward, the, the cornerback for the Chiefs, had just picked off Tom Brady in the Super Bowl or in the AFC Championship game, which then would have taken them to the Super Bowl. And Charvarius Ward's talked about it. You know, he's like, "Man, that that was really such a bummer." He's like, "People probably would have been, you know, remembering me as like a legend had that play, you know, up, you know, been upheld." Um, but it was interesting. So. One of the the fellow sportscasters, radio hosts over at 810 actually asked him the question because he was like, look, this is something that uh, weighs very heavily on the minds of Chiefs fans. The fact that they were one uh, offside call away from going to the Super Bowl. And with what, you know, was last season, the NFL MVP and Patrick Mahomes, and obviously, you know, he's done great things, has been the same caliber this season, but everything just felt so magical last season. And you can ask any Chiefs fan about that. And so Frank Clark's response was very interesting. And it's funny because I don't think he was necessarily answering it with D Ford in mind, but I wouldn't be surprised if that, you know, were the case by any means. And, and yeah, he said he's never lined up offsides in his career, definitely not in Kansas city. And, you know, like you said, uh, when he said, which was that it's inexcusable. So, uh, he said he's jumped offside a couple of times, but but lining up offside that is a no no. And so hopefully there's no there's no jinxing it there with that statement. Talk right now with Ali Tross of Sports Radio 810, which is WHB in Kansas City, Missouri. And now one of the big things that I've just noticed is how Pat Mahomes kind of returned from that injury that he had midway through the season, and it has just looked like he hadn't missed a step. It's absolutely amazing to see what Pat Mahomes is doing right about now, considering the fact. That he had the injury. I know a lot of people probably in Kansas City were thinking, oh, man, it's a manic curse all over again. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it, in Kansas City, it, for whatever reason, that there, 
no one wants to believe that it that it is good as it feels. Um, but no, I mean the AFC Championship loss last year, like I said, weighs heavily. But then you've got Patrick Mahomes, who you know you mentioned the injuries that he's overcome this season, uh, the adversity that this team has overcome. Not just Mahomes and his injuries, but a plethora of other players as well. Chris Jones uh, is pretty much going to be a game time decision. The defensive tackle for the Chiefs, uh, who's you know leading in sacks, he's you know been such a critical piece to this puzzle defensively and the you know kind of evolution that they've experienced under Steve Spagnola as their defensive coordinator, uh, switching from a 3-4 to a 4-3. And, and you can just see how it's really allowed them to be, um, you know, just lethal and, and a defense that's been able to really complement this offense. But, you know, both sides of the ball have seen their injuries. This is probably the healthiest the team has been all season long. Uh, and that's still with Travis Kelsey, who's dealing with a little tweak to his knee, and then you've got Chris Jones dealing with the calf injury. And so the hope is that both of them will be healthy on Sunday. Uh, it would be in the Chiefs' best interest if they were, but we'll just have to wait and see what happens. But at the end of the day, I do feel like the adversity that this team has overcome this season, much of which they've never had to face last season, will actually end up helping give them that competitive edge, helping them dig deep. They've, they've won games, you know, missing Tyreek Hill. They've won games missing Chris Jones. They've been able to win games even without some of those players. And so I think having that confidence in the guys that they do have, confidence in the rookies and the young guys who have had to step up in, into those roles that you know, may be kind of scary for them at those times, I think having all that experience this season kind of culminate into you know where they are now, I think it's going to give them the upper hand. Talk right now with Allie Charles. A couple more questions with her of Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City, Missouri. And, you know, we just need to kind of bring it up is like Andy Reid. I think of the fact that everybody looks at his legacy. It's just never been able to kind of crack that ceiling. What do you think his legacy is going to be if he wins the Super Bowl with the Chiefs? I think his legacy will be one of which I think regardless of whether or not he wins the Super Bowl, He's going to be regarded as one of the greatest NFL coaches of all time, as he should be, um, because of the way that he's impacted the NFL. You know, his coaching tree, if you just look at the coaches that have, you know, learned from him, have coached alongside him, what he's been able to do, um, you know, successfully with the Chiefs, he turned this team around when he took over in 2013, completely. I mean, they completely now dominate the AFC and, or, you know, the AFC, uh, the AFC West, but specifically the AFC now in the last couple of years of what you're seeing uh, as the Patriots start to fall and Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs team continue to rise, I think you're going to see a coach who, if he does win that Super Bowl, if he is able to get to that point, um, it's going to be the perfect kind of cherry on top to what he's already done to, you know, make his career one that is respected amongst all fans and especially, you know, in the NFL. And, and a lot of the players and coaches were asked about that this week because, you know, there's no denying the kind of monkey on, on the back of Andy Reid is that he hasn't won that Super Bowl. He's had all of the success. Uh, he's had these great records. He's, you know, won the division or all of these great things, but yet he hasn't won that Super Bowl that, you know, the, the thing that kind of solidifies and separates good coaches from the, you know, not good coaches. But in talking to special teams coordinator Dave Tobe, I mean, he said that he was crying. I said, I think I'd hug him forever if, if that were the case. Patrick Mahomes said that 
he'd probably be happier for Coach Reed than he even would be for himself. And Travis Kelsey, tied in, who's played with, you know, with Reed as his coach for his entire career, said that, I mean, we got to get this for Andy. He's like, we got to get it done. He deserves this. And so, you know, everyone that kind of understands that, Coach Reed would never say that openly, but, you know, all the players and the coaches, that just shows the respect that they have for him and the experience that they have in him as a coach. So it would be really, really special if, you know, if they were able to make that happen. And, and I think that this year, honestly, even more so than last year, is their best chance. Allie, thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate you, and enjoy the game tomorrow. Hey, thanks. Have fun watching. It's going to be a good one. Oh, we definitely will. And we'll also have fun listening to it, which you can hear right here on 103.7 The Game, thanks to the NFL's coverage of Westwood One. Back after this, Frank Wilson joining the program in just a few. Most sports radio shows go up to 10 on the app. But Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? He's going to an epic. Now, back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com live, as always, from the 237 Roof Studios. And now we go to the Arco Equipment Hotline. we got a very, very special guest right now on the game hotline. That is a former LSU assistant coach, also recruiting coordinator for the Tigers. Previously had a stop at UTSA, but now... Now I would say the new sheriff in town when it comes to the McNeese State Cowboys. We're talking about head coach Frank Wilson. He's joining the program right now on the game hotline. Coach, how's it going? Going well, Clint. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you taking time out of the busy schedule because, man, I can about imagine you've been kind of rolling since coming out of coming from San Antonio to Lake Charles back in Louisiana. What's it What's it feel like right now for you? Well, it's a whirlwind uh, opportunity to sit down this morning and. Uh, Start recruiting our, our current team, those guys that are on this campus, and looking forward to next week to go out and uh, start pursuing those young men uh, as we work toward National Signing Day, and at the same time, uh, getting our staff sorted out. And you, yeah, I think. So, you, you, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, so I was just a busy day, busy weeks to go. Busy weeks to go, and you know you got to think about it. It's definitely kind of you're working almost double overtime when it comes down to it, just trying to hustle to get things done ahead of the national signing day. I mean, obviously they had the early signing period, but now you got national signing day coming up in a few weeks' time, and McNeese State having to kind of scramble under pressure after head coach Sterling Gilbert left to be the offensive coordinator at Syracuse. What's it like for you as a recruiter to have to kind of hurry up and try and go no huddle, if you will, and come up with a with a recruiting class? You know, we we're, we take our time with it, so we're not. Uh, it's not. Uh, we're not sporadic. We're not desperate. Where we're just taking people to be taking them on signing day. Uh, National signing day on February, in February um, will be the first day that you can sign. It won't be the last. We'll work diligently, and uh, as we continue to look at our personnel, uh, our current roster, and fulfilling our needs, uh, certainly there are guys that were on our previous board at our previous university and places we've come from 
But at the same time, they were guys that were in a, already identified here at McNeese that we also evaluating. But we'll take all that in consideration and take our time and uh, and do it right. Not to be uh, so much just fast, but do it right. Now, regardless of that, time is still of the essence. Um, and ideally, we, we'd have it completed. But we may not sign the entire class on National Signing Day purposefully to make sure we get it right. Talk right now with new McNeese State head coach Frank Wilson on the game hotline. And my next question is, without a doubt, like just t- looking at the world of recruiting and how it is, you were at, you were at UTSA and you were recruiting largely Louisiana, Texas area. But what's the big difference for you whenever you're recruiting a UTSA versus what you're going to be doing now in McNeese, where you know you've got a lot of your inroads in the state of Louisiana? Um, you know, we were we were in this state pretty heavy. There's, there's probably about six guys. Uh, that did not sign at the, the early signing period that we're going to continue to pursue. So a lot of our inroads were here in the state of Louisiana as well as Texas. And there are a couple of guys in the state of Texas in this, you know, uh, Beaumont, Houston area, uh, which are areas that we think will continue to effectively recruit up and down the I-10 corridor. Um, but the uh, the student-athlete uh, doesn't change. The, the, the style of play the, the size-speed ratio, the things that we look for from a program type uh, stays very much consistent in what we were doing. We won't compromise that. We're going after the best and the brightest that we think fit uh, the things that we're going to ask them to do. It's amazing just to see everything that's been going on in the state of Louisiana and football in general. I talked about a while back with Tim Rebo, the Nickel State head coach. So I want to get your thoughts on it. It's definitely probably the best year of football in the college ranks, I'd say the pro ranks as well. Mind you, the Saints didn't make the Super Bowl. But at the end of the day, you got to look at everything that's been going on across the state of Louisiana. How huge is it to kind of be part of the state of Louisiana and how much the football world is starting to kind of zero in on what's going on in the Bayou? Well, it's a beautiful thing. You looked in bowl season and you saw, you know, Tulane playing for a game. You saw Louisiana Tech playing for a game. You saw, of course, LSU playing for the national championship. Uh, you saw a very competitive play throughout the entire Southland Conference uh, with our state schools. Uh, our high schools are playing at a tremendous high level. Uh, it's a uh, it's a wonderful time uh, to be in the boot, to be in Louisiana. Uh, the Saints fell a little short, but you know everybody still recognizes it as being one of the premier organizations in all of the NFL uh, with the play of Drew Brees and, and the style that our uh, our beloved Saints play with, and so. Uh, it's an honor to come back home and be a part of uh, such a tradition of quality football and such fertile recruiting and uh, football opportunity. Talk right now with new McNeese State football head coach Frank Wilson, and you know you you got the call. Like, what was that like? like? How quickly were you just like immediately yes when it comes to coming back to Louisiana, where you know a lot of the inroads, especially in the New Orleans area. We know how well you did well over there with LSU as a recruiting coordinator. Like. How quickly did you just, like, say yes on the phone? Well, it didn't happen on the phone. I wasn't offered the job over the phone. I had a uh, a couple of interviews by phone, then by Skype, and then uh, the reality is that uh, I had to come here to Lake Charles and, uh, and earn it. I had to come get the job. Uh, it was a coveted job that had uh, a tremendous amount of people that applied for it, and I was one of many, and just extremely grateful and fortunate that uh, I was able to come out um, and be able to be chosen uh, to be a part of such a prestigious family, a prestigious tradition uh, of a football program. When you look at all that Magnus State University have done over the years, 
uh, I, I was elated. I was just super excited and humble and certainly very grateful for this opportunity. And you need to see, like, obviously the introductory press conference was yesterday, and for those who didn't quite catch it, why don't you give us a little refresher on like, kind of your, your mission statement to make McNeese State one of the more premier programs in the FC, in the Southland Conference again? You know, it's, it's, it's vastly different from where I just left. You know, when I took over at UTSA, uh, the program had been around five years. Uh, and so we were trying to find an identity, establish a brand, uh, had just recently become a part of Conference USA, and uh, all those things that, that come with uh, being a, a program of great tradition uh, and play quality football and have a city and a student body that embraces it was something that we uh, we were developing, in, and we, we left it better than we found it and, and got to that point. It's different here. There's, there's been tradition for a long time. A uh, long time ago, we were winning Independence Bowl championships, uh, we have coaches that have coached uh, as well as anyone in this conference. We have played uh, more playoff games than anybody uh, in this conference. We have won more regular season game conference championships more than anyone in this conference. We've had more all-conference players than anyone in this conference. And so uh, it was vastly different because the tradition is here. You don't necessarily have to uh, establish it. Uh, we'd like to re-establish it and wake it back up and uh, just honored to be a part of uh, the giants of, of coaches that have gone through here over the years, uh, the Coach Kieslers of the world, et cetera, and what Matt Viator did and Tommy Tate did and those before them as well uh, in, in winning at a very high level. Uh, and we just, we're just we going to just try to get back to our winning ways. That's McNeese football. It's all right now with head coach Frank Wilson, new McNeese State head coach. And you brought up reestablishing things. The you'll be starting off the season against the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. I know you've got a lot of high praise for Billy Napier, and we'll probably get to that in a minute. But when it comes to like reestablishing, I think one of the big things a lot of people are talking about is potentially reestablishing the rivalry between the Cajuns and the Cowboys. Maybe not in every year matchup, but at least once every three years. I think these two programs should be facing off on a regular basis. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. Uh, Billy's done a phenomenal job there. Uh, they played at a very high level this past year, went on to uh, a bowl game, and uh, we look forward to it. We embrace the challenge uh, that lies before us, but there's there's no doubt uh, they've raised the bar, and it's our intent to uh, to try to match it, to try to match their intensity, to try to match the things that they're doing there uh, because we're capable, because for many years uh, it was a rivalry that, that stood tall in this state. Uh, and to be able to play them is something we're looking forward to. Yeah, and, you know, before before I let you go, I think we need to talk about LSU and winning the national title and just seeing Coach Ozeron, everything that he's been able to do, and you were kind of just looking at it from afar. What was it like seeing LSU get it done and, and do it, more importantly, the right way when you see Ed Ozeron really recruiting these guys and really developing some great talents? It couldn't have happened to a better guy. Uh, Louisiana, born and bred all his life. All he's ever wanted to do was, was, was be the head football coach at, at LSU. Even when we were at Ole Miss, even when we were at uh, Tennessee, uh, there was always that, that thought looking uh, if we could ever get back there. We, uh, I was fortunate enough to have a short time to spend a year with him at, at LSU, being our third stop, fourth stop together, including Nickel State. Uh, but it was just uh, very rewarding, very gratifying uh, to see a man who worked so hard, 
to position himself in uh, this state and that program. You hear him talk all the time about uh, doing it for Louisiana, doing it for the people of this state, uh, and that's sincere. It's genuine. Uh, it wasn't necessarily about him uh, in his quest, recognizing that he just was, you know, he was handed the keys to do a very challenging job, and uh, to see him answer the bell so resoundingly and hoist the national championship trophy uh, as a colleague, as a mentor, as a friend of mine, uh, I was elated for him. Coach, thank you so much for coming on. I know you've got a busy schedule. You're getting ready to go out to probably continue recruiting, getting things done, and I, I appreciate you coming on. We'll talk to you down the road, definitely. Hey, thank you guys so much for having me. Hey, my first radio interview, The Game, 103.7. How about that? Exactly. How about that? Go Pokes, brother. Go Pokes. Thanks, guys. All right, that was McNeese State Head Coach Frank Wilson. Absolutely love talking with him. Man, I I honestly want to walk off on this interview. Just like, that's it. Like, last segment's done. Like, this was just absolutely fantastic. I want to walk off on that and walk off into the sunset. I've got my sign on the billboard, my mug on the billboard outside the 237 Room Studios. That interview, I'm ready to call it a day. But I've got one last take, and it's LSU-related right before we get you to a little national championship parade, a celebration for the champion of college football. And maybe a little coach foe as well. You say, I know he's definitely getting ready. And by the way, this will be the final appearance for Coach Foe ever because I made a decision. Coach Foe's tenure has come to an end. Largely because of the fact that I felt, you know, Coach Foe, we've made fun of the impressions and the voice and everything. I think the Coach Foe gimmick, now that he's won a national title, it's time to retire it. So we'll do one last take. Coach Foe will, if we have time, and we'll take a timeout. We'll be back after this. Once again, appreciate Frank Wilson coming on. Absolutely fantastic. I also appreciate everybody else for joining the program. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Every time CD takes the mic, is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Now, let's get back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game at 103.7thegame.com. I'm going to waste not too much time because I want to get to this last take before wrap-up of the show. And then we've got some really cool coming up in a few minutes, and that is the LSU National Championship Parade, this, or as I'm putting it, the Celebration for Le Champion of College Football. And we're talking about the LSU Tigers. Maybe not a bit of the bubbly, but definitely – well worth the time to check out. Going to be coming up. We'll be airing that right here on 103.7 Game. Absolutely honored to be able to do something like that because we've never really done something like this before. And LSU, I don't believe, ever has done anything like this before, having national championship broadcast but or national championship parade broadcast on a whole bunch of stations. They gave us – they offered it. I'm like, hell yes, let's do that. That's, I, I'm looking forward to it. But speaking of that LSU and winning the national title, it's time for – my last take, and I think it's definitely pretty pointed.
Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one? Or is it going to be the one that he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. Enjoy the moment, LSU football fan. Enjoy this moment right now. Enjoy. Bottom line, I think that LSU fans need to realize these moments don't count too often. I think they're starting to realize that. Maybe it's the sky is falling, chicken little type moment for them. But without a doubt in my mind, LSU fans know to enjoy this moment because it doesn't come too often. And when it does, it's an amazing feeling. It's an absolutely amazing moment in time to talk about the Tigers winning a national title and doing it for the first time since 20, 2008. 2012 was the last time they were a national title. The redemption, everything that's happened since kind of puts a black light, black eye on it, obviously, with what's going on with Odell Beckham Jr. and his antics keep him away from LSU, in my mind. And more importantly, with Joe Brady, Dave Aranda leaving, nine underclassmen bailing. It could be happening sooner rather than later. But right here, right now, this is the year where Ed Ogeron really shows what kind of merit he has. He's every chance, in my mind, to go 10-2, 11-1. But I need him to prove it to me. But again, LSU fan, enjoy the moment. Who knows how much longer it's going to last. But right now, it looks like we got somebody on the... Oh, Sorry, looks like I stand mistaken. Looks like I waited a little bit too long. So if you're on the game hotline, if you called up just a minute ago, call back because I want to get my last take in. But you can get your last take in right now. Call it last call for alcohol, if you will, on a Louisiana Saturday morning, even though it's like 11.53 in the afternoon. You can definitely have plenty of alcohol, but why not kind of pour up a little bit of the bubbly and have a lot of, little bit of fun. And I'm just absolutely looking forward to it. Hopefully you are as well. And I'm just saying, just absolutely enjoying what's happening, what's good right about now. And, you know, it looks, it looks like we got that person back on the game hotline. And, again, I am the only person inside the 237 room studios. It's kind of hard for me to screen this call. Hopefully somebody with a good take. Caller, you're on the line. Oh, my God. So I'm on the air right now. Yeah, what's up, brother? Well, I'll be honest with you. I just got in the car, and I heard that opening music that you had for this segment, and I was calling to find out the name of the song. But, hey, here's the deal. I know sports pretty well. What's the topic? I, I got to take. All right, we're t- LSU, Astros, Saints, whatever you do. I mean, the floor is yours, my friend. But but before you go to that, here's the song. Okay, it's yeah. it's Nappy Roots, Good Day. It's absolutely a fantastic track. I in every show, I like the last segment of every show, I play that. So every week, every week, nappy, sh- nappy roots, nappy roots. Good day. That's the name of the song. All right, all right. So let's do LSU, man. Um, what an exodus that LSU is experiencing. I mean, coaches, players. It's going to be a huge, massive rebuild. But they are poised to do it. They are in a great spot to do the rebuild, and it will. I have look. I am. Big critic. I mean, I always look at what you're doing wrong rather than what you're doing right because I think that's the only way to improve. Okay, that's that's just how I look at life. But I'm telling you right now, I am so 
I have so much confidence in Coach O and what he's doing and what I've seen him do. The recruiting class coming in, we got Thaddeus Moss going out, Eric Gilbert coming in. So I guess my point to the matter is that I, you've got a critic here that actually has confidence that we're going to find that offensive coordinator, we're going to find that defensive coordinator, or I shouldn't say offensive coordinator, that, that balance in the offense, that defensive coordinator that we need, and I think we're going to be right there battling Alabama for the top spot in the West next year. Hey, what's your name, my man? They call me Michael from Lafayette. Michael from Lafayette, don't be a stranger, my man. I love that take. I appreciate you coming on. And don't be a stranger, my man. Call up more often. Yes, sir. Thank you. Nappy Roots. All right. Nap, <laughs> nappy Roots, brother. Nap, nappy Roots. And by the way, that's actually also the instrumental that I use in um, uh, the one last take drop. That is actually a um, uh, Nappy Roots. Um, uh, oh, no. Uh, nappy Roots is an underrated group, by the way. I feel like people don't talk about them enough. That's another take for another day and for a whole different show. Because this isn't a music show. This is a sports talk radio program. I don't think people want to hear my takes on music. But if you do, I mean, why not? Just throw those my way on Twitter, at Clint Doming, C-L-I-N-T-D-O-M-I-N-G-U-E. I think the big question is for me, I was thinking about this like yesterday. I was like, should I change my Twitter handle to the at the famous CD? Should I do it? Hit me up on Twitter if, if you think I do. Or hit us up on Twitter, at 1037thegame. Or hit the show account up, at under, under the dome CD. Appreciate everybody for coming on, Mike and, Michael and Lafayette. Ali Trost, Chris Gordy, Greg Peterson, Frank Wilson especially. Absolutely fantastic way to end the show. Have a great rest of your weekend. Be back with you next Saturday leading up to the Pro Bowl. Oh, and the Royal Rumble too. That's cool as well. Peace out, everybody. Have a great weekend.